Master, we have worked hard all night and have caught nothing. That doesn't sum up the way we often feel. I don't know what does. Right? Because the Catholic life, it's not easy. A lot of work goes into it. And sometimes we feel like, oh, I finally gained this one virtue. I I have been striving for it for for 15 years now. And then we look at all the rest of them and we think, am I ever going to be holy? Am I ever going to be good? Am I ever going to actually have all of this together? We might look at our work and think the same thing, at our families and think, how are we such a mess? Like, we all believe, we all, we all are trying to do our best, and yet, how are we falling short? We've been working all night and still we've caught nothing. We might be at that kind of brink of despair on so many things. And so this gospel is for us. Because the Lord comes to us in this situation in which we can despair and he says, no, have hope. Because I can work for you as I worked for Peter. Right? Just as Simon was at his wit's end, so I see you at your wit's end. And I want to work in your life. It might not be this spectacular catch of fish. It might not be this magic solution to all of your problems. But it is Jesus entering in. And how do we let him? Well, we learn from Simon the one virtue that we need. If we're going to not have any other virtue, if we're going to just have one, this is the one we need. The virtue of humility. Right, because as St. John Vianney once said, he used this image, he said that the virtue of humility is to all the other virtues what the chain is to the rosary. Right? Without that chain, all the beads fall and scatter. Without humility, all other virtues come to nothing. Right? Because pride is that cancer that eats away at even the good stuff in us. Right? We might be the most talented, the most intelligent. We might be just model Christians. People look at us in awe. They might say, oh my gosh, look at him right there. I just want to touch his robe. He's so holy. He's so great. But if we have not humility... None of it matters. And so Simon Peter today shows us that the way that we allow the Lord to work wondrously in our lives is through that virtue of humility. Ironically, the way that he works in our lives is by us saying, Lord, I don't deserve to have you work in my life. And so we follow Simon Peter here in humility. And we realize that humility is not just looking down on ourselves. It's not saying or believing bad things about ourselves or being kind of neglectful of the good things that we do have, the talents, the gifts, the wonderful things about ourselves. No, humility is honesty. It's an honest facing of reality and saying, whoo, there actually are some great things about me. Thank you, Lord. Because every single one of those is a gift from you. It's also facing the shortcomings and saying, yeah, I'm going to own those. I'm not going to pretend they're not there. And it's going and looking at everything in between and saying, okay, Lord, I need your help with it. Humility is just recognizing that God is God and I am not. (laughs) And it's taking solace in that and realizing, you know what, God, you can work with me. All that's good in me, you've given that. Thank you. All that's bad in me, you can handle that. You can work with it. Thank you. And it's moving forward. And so we follow Simon Peter. 
Jesus saw two boats there alongside the lake. The fishermen had disembarked and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, he asked him to put out a short distance from the shore. Here's lesson number one in humility. Let Jesus come into your boat. Right? Jesus would not have entered that boat. If Peter said no, if Simon right here had said, no, 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 Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm done. I'm tired from a night of fishing. I've caught nothing. Not only am I done, I'm frustrated. I'm at my wit's end, and now you just want to use my boat to teach these people no. And we're very often kind of at that position to where we think, really, God, you have the nerve to ask me more when I feel like I'm drowning with what I already have? To have these demands that the church places on me when my life is already pretty hard? And we might say, no, Jesus, I'm sorry. Find a different boat. Find a different life to enter into. I've got my plans. I've got my little goals. Let me have that. Go be somewhere else. But the humble person says like, yeah, all that I have is yours. And I need you in all of it. I need you to be able to use the good properly. I need you in order to be able to combat the bad. And so, yes, please, come into my boat. Come into my life. Shake things up a bit. Mess up my plans. Use what I have and who I am to teach your people. And then, lesson number two. Then Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. Let God teach people through you. And how does he use you? Sometimes by just entering into your life. You teach people best by following the teacher, right? You don't have to be the most erudite, intelligent person who could just explain everything, has read every book. Like, that's great if you can. But ultimately, the way that God's going to teach through you is through you faithfully striving to follow him. Yes, we try to study our faith, to know it as well as we can. But ultimately, the greatest lesson that we will ever give to anybody in our lives is our witness of faithfully following God, of striving to do that. I I pity the child of perfect parents. Because when that child gets to their first mess up in their lives, the first time that they realize they're imperfect, and they can't look to mom and dad to see what repentance looks like, to to see what real contrition and real turning back to the Lord looks like, what are they going to do? They're going to feel so out of place being the only imperfect member of that family. But families who have parents who, for all their faults, keep coming back to Jesus, that's a healthy family. Like, Like a family that's willing to have that virtue of humility. To say, oh man, I... I need Jesus. I need to come back to him. I need to say sorry to my own family members that I've hurt in this way or in that way. Right? A prideful person can never say sorry. And yet one who is humble seems to find that word quite often on their lips. Let God teach people from your boat. Right? Let him into your life in such a way that you follow him faithfully and so give a lesson to all the people in your life of what it means to be a Christian. After he had finished speaking, Jesus said to Simon, Put out into deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Here, we can look into Simon's soul and think, Oh my gosh, how difficult would that have been? You're already washing your nets. You are so frustrated because there just are no more fish, it seems, in this lake. 
You're ready to go home. And Jesus makes this demand of you, so unreasonable, so out of left field. What do you do? See, here our lesson in humility continues. He could have just let Jesus have it. Just said, no, absolutely not. Get out of my boat. You've already made me late coming home. No. But instead, he teaches us humble prayer. Right? The, the two aspects of prayer that are so important. Truth and trust. First, the truth. He tells him exactly what he feels like. Master, we have worked hard all night and have caught nothing. He's willing to be honest, to say, like, this is how I feel about this. These are my thoughts. These are my desires. Implicit here is like, kind of don't want to do this. But then comes the trust. But at your command, I will lower the nets. Right? Like, strictly speaking, I'm the fisherman here. You're a carpenter. Like, I, I have more technical knowledge here. Moreover, I'm tired. I'm at my wit's end. But having told you that in truth, now I will do what you ask in trust. So he does. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets were tearing. Our Lord blesses in superabundance. It's not always in this spectacular way. Sometimes, in fact, the very thing we asked for when we get it, we're like, oh no, I don't know if I could handle this. Like right here. The nets were tearing. The boat was almost sinking. And we realized that God didn't just want to give them fish. He didn't want to just smooth over whatever practical problem they had. No, he wanted to be able to get their attention and give them something more. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at the knees of Jesus and said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Do you notice the detail? The little detail, we would have just glossed over it. But it's important. Three times now we've heard Luke refer to this man as Simon, Simon, Simon. This time, what does he refer to him as? Simon Peter. That name that Jesus gave him. That name that means rock. Here we see in this humble confession of him realizing his own weakness in his humanity, him saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man. That's when Luke highlights this is the rock on which the church is built. The church was built on Peter's humility. The church was built on Peter realizing this that you're calling me to, I'm not capable of it on my own. No, me being the leader of your church, I'm the least capable but it's you who make me strong enough to do it. In fact, that description of being a sinful man has fit every single pope from the first one to the one we currently have. From Peter to Francis, every one of them has been to one degree or another a sinful man in desperate need of God. But God doesn't give us the papacy in order to impress us by these brilliant shining figures. He gives us the papacy... Because we need God working through sinful men to help us, sinful men and women. We need that sign of unity that is the Pope, right? That head of this spiritual family here on earth, who when we're squabbling can say, okay, the buck stops here. This is the direction we're going. We might like the direction, we might not. 
in a lot of the kind of less official things, an interview here or like uh, little things said over there, we might think, oh man, I don't like that. Well, I'm sure that's the way the apostles were with Peter too. I mean, Lord knows the gospels show him as far from a perfect man, but he was a chosen man. Chosen because in his humility, he was willing to be led by Jesus rather than saying, no, 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 Jesus, you're going to go this direction. And then we actually saw him in that growth. Because there were times in the gospel where he said, no, Jesus, you can't do that. Jesus, this is how we've got to do this whole Messiah thing. And the Lord taught him humility over the years. He saw that humility here already in, in a seed form, and he let it grow and grow and grow until he was humble enough to take on the position of being the servant of the servants of God, the first pope. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. From now on, you will be a fisher of men. And we might think, yeah, that makes sense for Peter. That makes sense for the apostles, for uh, Pope, bishop, priests. Does that make sense for me? And yeah, it does. Because you are baptized into the very body of Christ. So you are a continuation of his mission in the world. You are the one through whom he wants to bring people into his kingdom. But you might say, I don't know if I'm capable of that. And that's where I say, right on. <laughs> right? You are, you, you're getting the message. You completely understand that of your own strength, you are not capable of that. Of your own strength, all you can do is fall at your knees and before the Lord Jesus say, depart from me for I'm a sinful person. You know my weakness. You know that I've been trying all this all night and I've caught nothing. And the Lord can work through that because there's that virtue of humility expressed, first of all, by inviting Jesus in. Secondly, by letting him teach you and then through you following him, teach others. You've had honest prayer, truth and trust, right? First being truthful, saying this is what's going on and then being trusting and saying, but whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Even these hard teachings of the church. Yeah, I'm going to try again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back up and keep trying. And through that all, he can take away some of our fear. Because he could say like, no, no, no. You, you can't be relying on yourself. Remember humility. Rely on me. But then you could do great things. But we still might be saying, I just don't know if I can do it. It's just so hard. That's where the first reading helps us so much. In that first reading, we saw Isaiah. And he had a vision of heaven. And what did he see and what did he hear? He heard these angels crying one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Does that sound familiar? Isaiah seeing heaven experience what we experience at every Mass. Where heaven meets earth where we are able to be in communion with God himself. And so we are in the position Isaiah found himself in, of being able to have on our lips, in fact, those words, holy, 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 Lord, God of hosts. But we feel so unworthy, don't we? And so we say with Isaiah, woe is me, I am doomed, for I am a man of unclean lips, living among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. There we see that tension. Of we experience heaven at mass, but boy, 
we're coming from a pretty dirty earth, right? And we feel uh, caught between those two. We see this heavenly reality, but we feel so far from it. And so what does the Lord do? Then one of the seraphim flew to me, holding an ember that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth with it and said, See, now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed, your sin purged. How does the Lord use our mouths, our lips? And all the sacraments to some degree, but especially two. When he gives us the grace that on our lips may be our contrition. That in reconciliation we use that mouth that we so often use for, uh, for, for sinful speech. All the, We use it for something unspeakably good. When, when we say, we claim our own sins. We say, yes, I did this. I claim it. That's mine. But you know what else we say in that very moment? And I know that I am more than that. That sin that I, I'm confessing to, I'm, that's not going to define me. Right? Not only am I confessing right now my sin more profoundly, I'm confessing your mercy. I'm professing in this moment that you, dear Lord, can do exactly what you say. Remove my wickedness and purge my sin. And then that allows us to use our mouths for another sacrament. When we receive divine fire on our tongue, when the divine fire of God's love enters into all that we are and all that we have through sacred communion with the Lord. Our Lord removes that wickedness. He purges that sin. He makes us capable of great things so that like Simon Peter, through our humility, our humble acceptance of God's mercy, we can become fishers of men. And with Isaiah, at every Mass, when we're touched by the divine fire of God's love, We can be made ready for whatever he has in store for us. We can say with Isaiah, Here I am. Whatever you want, Lord, send me.